Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? I may just end up all this coming out confused and <laughs> we just it was amazing I was uh, so rejoiced in Cindy and Patrick's uh, marriage Cindy Dietrich and Patrick Crane this weekend and several of us had been just looking you know when they first start dating you kind of you know wonder if it's going to happen and Asking gingerly, how are y'all doing? And all those kind of things. And you'd appreciate this. You know, Cindy's a real athlete, a marathon runner. Uh, and when Patrick was at our new members class, I got to sit down and talk with him. One of the first good conversations we got to have. And I said, so her being such a runner and all, uh, what about you? He said, you mean, am I worthy? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a biker and so all of that. But I uh, was, uh, we had actually just finished the rehearsal Friday night when John called me to tell me what the prognosis was on, on Dustin. And so we rejoiced. And then, I don't know, our just emotions have been all over the place in the last week and this weekend. So... I just feel, I just feel jumbled. Um, so bear with me. Let's begin reading with verse twenty-eight. <clears throat> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we don't shy away from that word predestination uh, in our church. We believe it, actually, because it says right here, they were predestined. And I want anybody who is here, and perhaps that's predestination seems to be a foreign term or a negative term, but I do want you to understand that this most precious verse that we all hold to, I think the whole Christian church holds to this verse, that all things work together for good, is based upon the fact that he predestined. That he couldn't make this statement that all things would work together for good apart from God's plan. So it's a precious truth, rightly understood, that God has a glorious plan for his people. Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reading of God's Word. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that You would pour out Your grace upon us, that we would understand your promises, that we would believe your promises, that we would trust you for great things in the midst of our suffering and the suffering of our brothers and sisters. Oh, bless us, Lord, with your truth. Bless us by your Holy Spirit, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting in James chapter 1 that, G, that James says, count it all joy when you endure various trials. Now, he does not say to count the trial itself a joy in itself. But he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. And then he explains that Trials are the means by which we gain the character of God. And I think this is a core of understanding Paul's emphasis here in Romans. And a core for understanding how we face suffering. Because the suffering of Job, for instance, you know, the question arose really, we tend to think the question was, Why does God do what he does? But actually, the question in Job was this. Will you serve me no matter what? That's the real question in Job. It's the real question that Satan brings before God about Job. He basically says, well, yeah, yeah, Job serves you. Look at all the stuff he's got. He's got a big family. He's he's rich. Sure he does. You've bribed him to serve you. You've paid him off to serve you. You take it away and watch what happens. That's the drama. Now, of course, it unfolds as his friends accuse him of some grievous sin. That must be the reason all of this occurs. And in the end... God simply displays to Job, look, 
Where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? Do you understand the ways of a hawk or an ostrich or this? You understand nothing about nothing, Job. And you can trust me in this. He never explained any why. But the issue is, what will we do? Our question generally is why. And the question that always comes to us from Scripture is, How will you serve me now? How will you love me? How will you manifest Christ? How will you show forth the love of Christ in this situation? And we have an opportunity to say, we don't seek the giver for his gifts. We seek the giver for himself. And it doesn't matter if he takes everything away from us. We will love Him. We will give our lives up to Him. Do we love Him freely or only because He bribes us? So our question is not just not why, but what do I do? How do I respond? To what am I called to be and to do? What is my purpose in this? And that's our purpose, as stated in the Catechism. So, enjoy God and glorify Him forever. Pascal, in talking about this, says that my exploration, my go, my heartthrob in every bit of suffering is simply this. How might I know and love God? How might I manifest Him to others? So, it's really our opportunity again and again to show that we are indeed living sacrifices given up to His will. So, with that bit of introduction, isn't it interesting in this passage that when Paul says in verse 28 that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Then he talks about these things that the people of God will and do experience. Verse verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, which is death. And he says, we are like a bunch of sheep. That are just there to be slaughtered. That's what it's like. You've got to put those two things together. We tend to think who God will work all things together for good. We like to define that good. We like to make deals with God about what that good must be. And yet the good that he's speaking of here has to do with. Conformity to Christ. The purpose, the good that he's working toward is this purpose. He says they will work together for good for those called according to this purpose. What is that purpose? To finally be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 29. 
And then he spills it out in the gold, what's called the golden chain in verse 30 of how it starts with predestination. Then we're called and justified and finally glorified, which means in that final day, we'll have the glory of being in the image of Christ. So everything is working and moving to that end in our lives. But brothers and sisters, not only for ourselves, but for our other brothers and sisters, we have to be committed to that deal, so to speak. To say, Lord God, whatever you might bring into my life or into the lives of my brothers and sisters, we give ourselves up to you, to your purpose for us, to make us into the image of Christ. And so his questions here are not, why does God let us Why does God lead us into tribulation? That's not a question. Why does God allow distress in our lives? Why does he allow some of us to starve as was occurring? Why are we jailed? Why are some of us killed, burned at the stake? Why are these happening? Why do these things happen to us? What is the issue? Don't worry, None of these will separate you from that thing that is your treasure. And that is the love of God in Christ. That's what we've sold out for. It's as though we've come. And I've told you about that time years ago when trading coins. I almost said it right. With a friend of mine who later developed cancer and died. He's the son of a PCA minister, although I didn't know at the time what the PCA was. I was in the Methodist church. But um, Philip, as you recall, my illustration had a three-cent piece, and I ended up giving him all of my old Lincoln head pennies in order to get that three-cent piece. And that's what we've done in Christ. He's wooed us by the cross. He's drawn us to himself to find in him that treasure described in Matthew 13 as a treasure and for joy over it we go and sell everything we have and that's the base it's not super Christianity it's basic Christianity Lord we come and we give all of our life into your hands to do with it whatever you will if we may have Christ isn't that what Paul said in Philippians 3 he said I count everything, everything in the end but rubbish that I may have Christ, that I may have Christ. And sometimes it's harder. It's been harder for me to believe that for other people than it is for myself sometimes. That is, to allow God to do his work in a brother or sister because he's developing Christ in him or her. And I can't say to God, well, you don't know how to do that. You don't know the right things to do for her life. You don't have unlimited wisdom to know what kind of medicines and treatments and pain and suffering or good things you don't. Or you don't have the compassion or love for her or him that you need 
I'm speaking to the one who died on the cross for his or her sin. And so the concern that you realize that everything that's bound up here is that everything will promote our good and that we, all of these things, do not mean in any way that God's purpose will be thwarted. So that he's able to say then, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? He's talking about suffering. What shall we say to these things? How do we speak to that issue? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because he didn't spare his son, he'll graciously give us all things. All things needful that we would continue to be conformed to Christ. That we would get to drink more of Christ and own more of Christ and trust in Christ more. And the important thing is that verse 33, whatever happens to any of us, in the end, does it really matter? Because no charge can be brought against us no matter what. He's rejoicing in that central glorious truth. And that's why I shared that example from Larry Crabb. That the overriding concern about our life is, I am forgiven. My brothers and sisters are forgiven. They belong to God. No charge is being brought to them. No charge can be brought to them. I'm not lessening the horrible tragedy and pain, but putting it into context for all of us. That there is no condemnation. There is that God, we are the justified ones before God, that Christ now intercedes for us and for our beloved friends. So when he says... Who or what can be against us? The point is then everything becomes our servant to be for us, even though it appears against us. So that he says in verse 37, we're more than conquerors. He says it's the same word where he says he's able to do exceedingly beyond all we ask or think. It's that same language. We're hyper victorious, super victorious, more. We're not just conquerors. We're overwhelmingly conquerors, triumphantly victorious. There's unqualified victory in the midst of the worst things that in the midst of the worst things, our adversaries are wholly overthrown. And we own the laurels of conquest. So not only will these things ultimately and finally not do us harm, but they must do us good in God's providence. They will do us good in God's providence. They're not only deprived of the ability to ultimately do us harm, they're rendered servants to minister to our good. Chris Sostom said this, Yet those that be against us, 
so far are they from thwarting us at all that even without their will, they become to us the causes of crowns and procurers of countless blessings in that God's wisdom turns their plots unto our salvation and glory. See how really no one is against us. So Paul says, as I've quoted it before at the end of 1 Corinthians 3, when people were arguing over, well, Paul's my favorite preacher. Well, I like the way of Paul is. And I like Cephas. He's so honest, Peter. And Paul says, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. How can he say death is ours? He doesn't mean death is yours because you're going to experience it. It means you own death now. Death doesn't own you. You own death. Or life or the present or the future, all are yours. And because of the Lord of the earth, we become by His grace lords of the earth. Our reign with Him has begun and we are already His. And there's a noble Lord of the earth lying in Memorial Hospital in Greenville, South Carolina. And this injury, nor anything that Satan may have intended by it, because he means at all times, through anything, to do harm to God's people, he is yet, even now, an heir of all things. And that cannot change. His destiny is the full enjoyment of the new heavens and the new earth. And though now his body is weak, though now his body seems to be right on the edge of death, we would say with John, it is not yet appeared what he shall be. For when Christ comes, he will be like him. Nothing can stop Leanne from experiencing God's love through God's people. Nothing can stop God from loving His people. Nothing can stand in the way or prevent our obtaining the final happiness His love has prepared. His love will achieve all that He desires in doing us good. Nothing will be omitted. Nothing will be interfered with. If He did not spare His own Son, He will not spare anything for enabling us to become like Christ and to manifest Christ. Nothing can stop His making us know that love, taste that love, being comforted and strengthened by that love, and have a bright hope through that love. He will manifest Himself. So we can say, He will reveal Himself to us in our pain and suffering. We can say, He will deepen our fellowship with Him. And our trust in Him and our joy in Him in pain and suffering. He will advance His kingdom in our pain and suffering. He will gather others to Christ through our pain and suffering. 
He will glorify His name in our pain and suffering. He will make us into Christ's image in our pain and suffering. He will bind us together in love in our pain and suffering. And He will make us instruments of His love in our pain and suffering. But that's what you have to want more than life itself. I love that phrase in Psalm 63. Your loving kindness is better than life. Is that true of you? Your loving kindness, O Lord, is better than life. There's more to say, but I think that's all I'm going to say this morning. I want to urge you to use this time to see in it the same love that gave Christ to die. No different. Do you think that He loves Dustin any less than He loves you or me? Do you think He loves Leanne and those boys any less than He loves you and me? Does He have an everlasting love toward the Salters, toward the Browns? Does He have an infinite, unlimited love toward them and toward us? Your loving kindness is better than life. Have you, and maybe for some of you who are on the edge of Christianity, you could ask this question. Is His love better than life to me? Have I made that deal? By saying, Lord, I give up the whole of my life that you might do whatever in order that I might have this one who would die in the place of sinners, who would bear punishment for sinners, and who would then give himself freely to them for their satisfaction and comfort to cleanse their conscience, to be their Lord and Savior throughout life and forever. I give away everything, Lord Jesus, to have you. Let us draw near to Christ. Let us draw near to Christ. Let us pray. Lord, the psalmist said, I have nothing in heaven and earth but you. I desire nothing on earth but you. Oh Lord, many times you you search us and many times in our lives it's like the Israelites being brought out into the desert and there you were. There you were for the taking. But they wanted to go back to the comforts of Egypt. They wanted to have things the way they were. Oh Lord, You love us so much that You want to give us Yourself above everything else in this world. Lord Jesus, we... The questions just 
stumble out of our hearts. We can't even begin to fathom this event. But we know that your purpose is sure for this family, for other families that are suffering for the whole of this body. And we know that nothing will turn you away from giving us more of yourself and making us more and more like Jesus. Lord, may that be the passion of our hearts. May we truly be liberated. May we be able to say with the psalmist, by your grace, your loving kindness is more precious than life. And we thank you, Lord, that there will be healing, complete healing. We thank you that the resurrection is sure. You've already been raised from the dead, Lord Jesus. And our resurrection is bound up in yours. And whatever happens to our brother, as we pray even now for his complete healing, there will be complete healing. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your invasion when you came to earth and you heal people of every sort, there was a picture of what you're going to do one day, perfectly and forever, to heal us. In the raising of Lazarus is a picture of that final raising of every one of us. And we praise you that nothing can stop that healing. And that everything that happens to us is in the context of your anger against sin and your anger against the curse and your hatred of all suffering and how you will finally remove it, every particle of it from our lives forever because you love us. We rest in that love shown to us through the death of Jesus Christ. Draw us to Yourself in faith, O Lord, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn again to your insert, we'll sing, Arise, my soul, arise. Let us comfort ourselves in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. And make it our prayer that our brothers and sisters who are, in, who are suffering will find that same comfort in his presence. Let us stand and sing.